Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon Ballard here with basically the greatest human who has ever lived, my mm. co-host, Courtney Kay. I was just warning Courtney, I have not really had coffee yet this morning, so <laughs> beware. <laughs> we both have. Do you, Is your coffee on your desk? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we both went to Starbucks. <laughs> So I was like, oh, I need it. <laughs> we're both under caffeinated. The caffeine has not yet hit. Yes. Apologies in advance. Also, I did not sleep last night because mm-hmm. I was in like the last like 30% of will they or won't they by Ava Wilder. <gasps> and oh. I was like, okay, I'm just going to like read for a few minutes before bed. And that did not happen. <laughs> And I still have like 10% left because I literally like my eyes were like, I cannot stay open any longer. But I was like, I can't stop. It's so good. Oh, so I'm like, okay, I got to read it today. I got to finish it. <laughs> okay. That's the best late night though. Yes. It's totally worth it. And it's different. Like, do you find that reading books, staying up late to read books is a different feeling than like staying up late to watch a show or? Oh, yeah. There's nothing else like staying up late to watch, to read a book. Yeah. Well, it's just like, too, um, you know, I'm just like all cozy in bed and I'm like, you know, all curled up under the covers mm-hmm. and it's just like a good experience. But do you read on your Kindle? I do. And I actually haven't had a Kindle for very long. Um, I used to just use the Kindle app on my iPad, but it was like destroying my eyeballs And with all of the arcs and like early reads that we have to do for blurbs, they're always, you know, electronic copies. And so I was like, I have to get a Kindle and it has like changed my life. Did you get the paper white? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, obsessed. It's so good. And it's so small. Like it just fits like right in my purse. I just bring it with me wherever I go. It's the best. I need it. I think that's going to have to be my next book related purchase. Do it. It's a write-off, baby. (laughs) It is a (laughs) write-off. And I always, um, the thing I love about the paper white, proudly sponsored. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please call us. (laughs) Um, They, it it looks like you can take it to, like in the sunshine Mm -hmm. and and read it like a normal page, which I'm sold, immediately sold. (laughs) Well, that was the thing for me that kind of like, kept me from getting it originally as I was like, oh, well, I read at night a lot when my husband is asleep. And so I, you know, I, I have to like, I can't have the light on, like I have to just use the screen as the light, but it totally is backlit. So you can see it in the dark and it's amazing. Yay. Yeah. That's so nice. It. That's so nice. And also, um, you are the best human ever. FYI. <laughs> no, you are. No, you. <laughs> we could have that debate all day long fine Um, and you would come out the victor as the best human ever no you Uh, moving on next topic (laughs) all right so what have you been consuming this week anything interesting my family and i have been loving um never have i ever oh i haven't watched that yet oh god it is the cutest show. I remember binging through like the first season and a half on my own, maybe like a year or so ago, maybe more. Um, But my daughter wanted to watch it. So we're watching it with her because some of the content is mature for her, but 
um it's like overall it's like such a great show for her at the same time yeah. I don't know <laughs> we're like at that weird age you know I feel like I say this yeah. almost every <laughs> every intro <laughs> but we're watching more and more shows together that like we all enjoy so it's this interesting place to be as a parent now um that. yeah but it's so much fun and like to laugh together and uh you know I I kind of like her to know that she can talk about all these things with us and so like yeah. Having it not be a big deal, like watching it, you know, yeah. there's like that line where like, okay, totally. this, I'm going to fast forward this little part here, but like, you yeah, know, it's, we could still talk about it. I love <laughs> Don't that. Know. Um, has she Try. watched the Babysitter's Club series on Netflix, the new one? Oh, yes. <sighs> oh, it's the best. That was one of those moments where I was like, I wish my kid was like old enough to watch this because I was obsessed with that show i did i already tell you this on the podcast about the baby Shares club movie oh that i don't think you told it on the podcast you've told me but i don't know that you've told it on the podcast so like growing up um my dad worked in the studios and so my sister and i got to be like we were homeschooled um unrelated to his job but we got to be um like extras in some movies and so one of them was the babysitter's club movie um and it's so so funny now to look back on that I think I was like 11 or 12 and just That's living amazing. my best life I, yeah Rachel Lee Cook and <laughs> I was obsessed with Rachel Lee Cook obsessed. me too <laughs> me too I she braided my hair oh my god amazing a moment i'll never forget (laughs) i mean and rightly so because it's incredible (laughs) oh your cat muted your microphone again (laughs) she really did mute my microphone she's like no you're obsessed with me (laughs) how dare you Oh my god, that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) That's funny. We've also been watching The Good Place. We started that together. That one's hilarious to watch together. Yeah, that's a really good one. Your turn. My cat has officially cut me (laughs) off. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, Well, I've been watching the exact opposite of what you have been watching. So I have, uh, past couple nights, I've been watching the, um, there's a new documentary on Amazon called Shiny Happy People. Oh, yeah. I saw it. It's just a picture. Yeah. So it's mostly about the Duggars from 19 Kids and Counting. Um, That kind of is like the lead into it. But then it really goes into like the church that they are involved in and there's lots of other like ex-members of the church um that are in the documentary just talking about how awful it is and how terrible it is and just how um you know like there was a whole thing with the oldest brother who you know got in trouble for molesting his sisters and everybody in the family like knew about it and just kind of like swept it under the rug and just like oh I didn't know that yeah it's so it's like really upsetting so definitely 
trigger warnings, like check them because it's, it's a lot. Um, and, but it's just, just like so fascinating. Like I never really watched their show. Like I would, you know, see little glimpses of it here and there. Um, but one of the daughters is in the documentary. Um, and it's just fascinating. But what was like so interesting last night is that, so the older kids, by the time they started filming the show, were like, you know, already teenagers. So for a lot of the time they were on the show, they were over 18, but none of them were getting paid. Like all the money went directly to the dad. And so even though they were all adults and like working adults at that point on the show, they didn't get any compensation at all, which I feel like TLC could have a bit of a lawsuit on their hands if they really wanted to take it that way. Because I'm like, that's just not, that's not right. That's like, I don't feel like legally that is acceptable. And the daughter was saying that like, the dad at one point just like shoved a piece of paper in front of her like the day before her wedding and was like, Oh, you need to sign this. And she just thought it was like, like a marriage thing. And it was like a five-year contract, like obligating them to film the show. And he, like the dad didn't tell them like what it was or what was in the contract at all. Like they, she didn't see anything except the signature page. And I was like, that is not legally okay. Like, what the hell? It is wild. Um, so yeah, I have one more episode to go. I have to, I'll probably watch it tonight, but I just am like, yowza. Thanks. I hate it. Ew. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot. Well, hoping for healing for those kids. That's, Ugh, that's seriously. awful. Yeah, In and it just, several ways. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for the kids, I think all of them in general, but in particular, the girls where it's just this mentality of like, your whole job is to breed, basically, and like, take care of your husband and your children and just, ugh. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a compounded clusterfuck right there. (laughs) That whole situation. That's so sad, man. It is. It was, yeah, there's lots of parts of it that are very upsetting, but um, overall it's fascinating. Yeah. And probably very important to bring a lot of that to light and a lot of like, you know, some of these reality shows and, and even now like the YouTube, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they're, they're reality shows with these big families and, or like parents having their kids on, you yep. know, and, 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 you know, I'm not going to like say, I mean, there are many ways that people do this and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying like, it's something to think about in yeah. in regards to all of this, like, you know, ch- minor, the consent of a minor and like, yeah. they should have permits and they should have, you know, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. And I think it'll be over the next few years in particular, I think the kids that were kind of that first wave of like influencer kids are like starting to come into adulthood and already there have been a couple of like articles and things about kids that were like, like, I will never talk to my parents again. Like, I can't believe that they did this to me. And it's like, 
Ugh. Yeah, because some parents are probably very exploit. How do you say that word? Exploitive. Exploitative. Exploitative. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Writer. Exploiting Writer. your children. <laughs> yeah. But even yeah. Um, in my very limited experience with Hollywood, I had to get a working permit, yeah. <laughs> a worker's permit, and I had to get um, like a Coogan account. So it was yeah. an account where you get paid for your work and your family can't touch it. Nobody can touch it. Only you can touch it when you're 18. Right. So the yeah. fact that like a reality show that's on a major network, I mean, yeah. that's that's very surprising to me. Yeah, I but it wouldn't that be too. treated like a normal show, right? Because aren't they all child actors? Like right. there are very strict laws about that. And yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's very strange. Um, well, yeah, but that's sad. I know. On a happier note, <laughs> you need to go watch Never Have I Ever after you watch yes, that because it, it will bring you all the. I, I need a palate cleanser after this for sure. Yeah. Um, but we have an amazing episode today with the one and only Adriana Herrera, who just, like, I knew she was going to be amazing, but like, it was just even more incredible than I ever could have imagined. Like, uh, she blew my mind. Um, so we talk all about her new book, An Island Princess Starts a Scandal. We talk about writing historical versus writing contemporary, because she, I don't, still don't even understand how she does both but she does yeah. um and um, the amazing tv show jury duty which i have since watched me too because of her when adriana tells you to watch something you go watch it and i did yeah <laughs> and it was amazing and totally worth it oh and we uh, talk about uh panty liners and it's not what oh, you think <laughs> it's not what you think introduced to a new term <laughs> um, amazing so stay tuned we'll be right back with Adriana hi everyone thank you so much for tuning in we are um pretty much beside ourselves today with excitement <laughs> for the guests we have on I don't know how many times I've texted you Fallon we have Adriana today. <laughs> so we have the incredible Adriana Herrera on the show with us today. And Adriana is the USA Today best-selling author. Adriana was born and raised in the Caribbean, but for the last 15 years has let her job and her spouse take her all over the world. That's incredible. She loves writing stories about people who look and sound like her people getting unapologetic happy endings. When she's not dreaming up love stories, planning logistically complex vacations with her family, or hunting for discount Broadway tickets, uh, nice. <laughs> she's a trauma therapist in New York City, working with survivors of domestic and sexual violence. You are amazing. Thank you for being here, Adriana. Welcome. Thank you How for having you? me. I am good. I am very good today. So, you are coming to us from a very yeah. special location, which I'm like so jealous about because uh, you are on an amazing writing retreat right now. Yes, I have escaped New York and I am in somewhere in the woods of Connecticut. <laughs> I don't know what part. I don't know what part of Connecticut I'm in, but um, it's we're like in one of those getaway pods. I'm with my friend Sarita, and we're supposed to be writing. We have not yet, <laughs> but we have till Saturday. It'll be fine. It'll happen. 
Yes. Absolutely. So your new book, An Island Princess Starts a Scandal, is absolutely incredible. I have started reading it. I am obsessed. How dare you (laughs) take over my life like this? Please tell us all about it. Yeah, so it's the second book in my Leona series. Um, the first one was A Caribbean Heiress Starts a Scandal. And the second one, no, not A Caribbean Heiress Starts a Scandal, A Caribbean Heiress in Paris. The yeah. second one, this one, is An Island Princess Starts a Scandal. And so the the premise of the series is, is like three best friends are all Latinas, and they are going to the 1889 World's Fair in Paris. And each of them is kind of like has her own goals and reasons to be there. And the second one is uh, Manuela, who people who have read the first one met. Um, She's one of the three besties. And Manuela's an artist. She's a lesbian. And she is also in a family that's in a lot of financial trouble. So she's agreed to marry a man with a lot of money. And she's one of those girls that likes nice things. So she's convinced herself that as long as she can buy pretty dresses and like go to fancy vacations with her financier husband, she will have an issue like not being able to like live the life that she like actually wants. So she meets um, this duchess named um, Cora Kemp Bristol, who is also Latina. She's, a, she's from Chile. And they have to strike it. They strike a deal because Manuela owns a piece of land that Cora needs for her business course, like a very like intense businesswoman. I, I say like, I wrote like a, like more likable version of Sheryl Sandberg. Like Cora's very much like into the lean in, um, mentality in the beginning of the book, which is why I have to break her life down piece by piece until she is basically begging for mercy and then she can find love. So, um, so Cora's like this very intense woman. She's like got like a chip on her shoulder. And so they make this deal that Manuela will give her the land that she needs for her business. And in exchange for Cora, basically taking her around Paris and introducing her to like lesbian Paris, which at the time was very vibrant and very exciting. And so, that's kind of like how they fall in love. So they have like, they have six weeks to kind of like prance around Paris and be like very, 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 very like debauch. There's a lot of debauchery, I guess, um, is what you would say. It's what, it's what she's aiming for really in the beginning of the book. So that's, that's the story. So it's, it's a kind of chaos heiress meets very like uptight, um duchess and they fall in love and they have a lot of sexy times all over paris in the late 1800s i mean what more could you ask for honestly um i just one of the things i love the most about this book is their meet cute yes it's just like the chemistry is just like so immediate and I was just like oh my god yes and I read that chapter and then basically finished the book in like one sitting because I was like um I cannot stop reading this (laughs) I'm happy to hear that I was so like it's my first like full-length um um sapphic story like I've written a lot of sapphic stories but they're they haven't been like a hundred thousand words so I was very nervous about like and also because it's historical it's two Mm -hmm. Latinas like there's a lot of stuff that I was trying to do in there and I don't really have reference text like there is no 
historical romance with Latina women who are queer, like, out there. And so I had no reference text for, like, pretty much anything. Like, I had the history that I knew was there. So I knew that Paris in 1889, if you were a lesbian, was the place you wanted to be because it was a very vibrant community. It was, like, very open. Like, there was many women living openly and as couples. There were a lot of lesbian bars. Like, I think I with the account like I finally found like around like six or eight that like were like active in that in that period and so I knew all this stuff but I didn't know how like how much I could do until I kind of started writing it but I knew also that they would have like they had to have a lot of chemistry because like their agreement is unhinged like (laughs) like I'll sell you my land (laughs) if you like show me like depraved Paris for for six weeks so I knew it had to be like really steamy from the get-go so yeah I'm glad you enjoyed it it was I I feel like it's one of those books that for me writing it like really kind of like took me to places that I did not anticipate the entire time mm-hmm. interesting yeah can you tell that. us about that process like your writing process with the story I mean, part of it, like, I do a lot of percolating before I start writing, and my friend Sarah Simone coined the term panty liner, because I'm a pantser, but I'm also an outliner, so I'm a panty liner. (laughs) 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 It's not mine. This this belongs to Sarah Simone. Um, And so... I do, like, I do outline as I go, and I know kind of, like, the backgrounds for the characters and all of this other stuff. But once I sit down to write, like I, I really kind of let the story take me where it's going to take me. And as I go, I re-outline. So like on a regular romance novel, I'll write 25 outlines. Like I'll just outline and re-outline and Mm re-outline and re-outline because as the story's going, like I figure out things as I go. But with this one, like initially... I knew that Cora, I wanted to make Cora a complicated character. Like one of the things that I feel is important to me to do when I write queer characters and also when I write Latin characters, which is all I write, is that I don't want to fall into the trap of just portraying people that are like perfect, Mm. right? Like I think queer people, I think Latin people, I think black people should get to be just as flawed and complicated as like, you know, everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so I knew Cora, I wanted to make her, like, not unlikable, although she is kind of a lot, but, like, someone that is, like, really, has really bought into the patriarchy, right? Like, she, she has, like, this, like, I mean, really going, like, going into, like, the lean-in mentality, which I think has been, like, really not good for us. Like, it's, it's not how we win. Mm-hmm. Like, this idea mm-hmm. that we have to mimic um, the, the the metrics of success and power that men have created. Like buying into that system is not how we win. And so I had I had this woman who is trying to do her best and like trying to survive in this man's world, but really, really, really has bought into the system of like I need to be ruthless and implacable, and I need to be like punish my enemies and like. Isn't this like really like merciless world? Mm. 
And so and then I have Manuela, who also has bought into it in another way. She's like, I just want to be taken care of. And the only way I can take, be taken care of is like being like kind of like going with the path of least resistance, which is I'm beautiful. And this man wants me to be his trophy wife. So like I can do that because then I can have pretty dresses and I can just be like happy and, and safe. Like her for her safety meant financial security. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's really kind of so I have this that I have to kind of unpack and I also have to make it sexy. And then I also have to like do the history. So it, it, like both of them like really fought me throughout the book. Cause I think like I, I, like I wanted to pull punches sometimes both with, with Cora and with her. And I really had to like make myself like try to be like, let them be complicated. And like the ending of the book is like a fever dream, but like, I wanted it to be dramatic and I wanted Cora to like, like to like Cora was someone like it wouldn't like, it wouldn't be realistic for Cora not to hold on tight to the power that she had acquired. And she truly believed like the only way for her to be safe and her people around her to be safe was to like hold on to this power. But then like finally figuring out like just me having power is not going to make a difference. Like, if I'm the only woman in the room, then we're in the same place we were before I got in there. And so, like, she has to come to that realization. And, and it was hard because, like, I'm still trying to be, like, you know, it's a carriage sex and, like, all this stuff. But, like, <laughs> kind of, like, having to unpack all of that really kind of took me to a lot of different places. And me wanting to, like, not, like, really making myself be, like, I want this woman to be complicated because we are. Like, we fall into these traps of, like, what matters and how we stay safe. Like, safety for us is, like, something that takes us to places that, like, end up being, like, really harmful to us. Like, this, like, women, all we want is to be safe. And, like, sometimes, like, safety is a mirage, right? So, anywho, that, wow. that was, like, a lot of what I was trying to explore in that book. And, and I think I'm going to continue to explore it in the next book is, is that, um, yeah. How, how, how we, how we, how we become safe inside, inside our heads and in our bodies. I love that. And there is a moment at the end of this book that I won't like really spoil, but I think that there's a moment when Manuela makes a decision And I think in most romances at that point, it would have been the like, okay, it's just time for us to get back together and be happy ever after. Mm -hmm. But like the decision that she makes in that moment that sort of forces Cora to really examine everything that she is doing with her life was like just so powerful and like just handled so beautifully that I was just like, oh my God, this is just, it's perfect because it would have felt, um, I don't know. Like it would have felt not authentic if that was just the end of their story. And I just thought that that was so well done. Yeah. I know that moment. And, and I like my editor, because I was late on this book, my editor was like, I mean, we could end it here. And I'm like, no, we're not. (laughs) She needs to beg. So I had to like, I had to keep, like, I couldn't, like I had to stay with it because like, I can't write, someone like like again like what I said I can't write like a, a 
a cuter Sheryl Sandberg in the beginning of the book and end it where she just gets to have it like the happy ending without her like really needing to like put down all the weapons. And so yeah, I had to keep going. Like my like my editor was good. I mean and I had like an uh like I had I had a longer gravel and then my editor did well like no this like let's keep it here. Like this is good. And I'm like okay fine. We are at like hundred and twenty thousand words so like I guess I can stop. <laughs> But like I, I really did. Again, to me, like these, these, this series, and like beyond just getting to write historical. Like I was talking to, um, my friend Sarita last night, and the what well, we were like sent. I was getting smoke in my face from the campfire, and she was like, "What is the message you want?" We're talking. I was. We were kind of workshopping this third historical, and I was like, "I just want Latin women," and like in the history pages i just want us to be there so that is like my main goal with the series is like there to be books on a bookshelf with latin women as fully realized people that contain like the history that is ours right but also like i want to have like conversations about who we get to be and we, who we don't get to be in fiction. And so like to me, and, and, and in romance specifically, cause I could like, I could write historical fiction. Like I could have written that book without sex and just made it like historical fiction. But I feel like the part of my, my mission as a writer is to be able to write women who like have these journeys and also get to have great sex and ha- and get to like find the person that sees them for who they are and wants to see them succeed. And so, yeah, like anyway, like my goal for this for this series I think like is keep like keep the conversation complicated. I feel like I I love a soft romance, but I also feel like we're in a moment in time right now like the world and 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 our and our um autonomy and our safety Mm-hmm. is in peril and so it's our job to reflect the times right like so mm-hmm. it's our job to have these conversations and still get the happy ending i feel like you can be out there like being like a soldier for liberation and still get to have like a really great night of sex oh, so yeah. i think like, yes. <laughs> but i think to me like and and with my contemporary like i'm in a completely different space like my like my last contemporary like you know it was like a lot more fun and a lot but i feel like with historical i think because the setup is there like i can have like like there's more like i feel like there's a like the the container lends itself to like more more urgent things like mm-hmm. because like mm-hmm. i mean i feel like we're regressing now so i feel like our freedom is like also an urgent theme today but like i think people are more used to kind of reading like heroines or protagonists in historical romance are like fighting for like like suffragists or blue stockings like that kind of thing like i feel like it's a lot more like of a landscape that the, the readers used to that kind of like um dialogue and please correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds what i'm hearing a little bit is like using history as a mirror to oh, be absolutely. like um look very deeply at what's happening now yeah absolutely that's right absolutely yeah i mean and and again i like i do think like the conversation about what kind of feminist we want to be like Mm. like with cora like 
do you want to be the kind of feminist that like it's okay with just you being in the room mm. and being like a tool for men to accrue more power or do you want to like destroy that system and build your own like do we are we like trying to succeed in the patriarchy or are we burning the patriarchy down and rising the matriarchy that's the conversation like i want to have and and every and every every day like when i'm out for coffee what i call when are we going to like really lean like really gonna get going with the matriarchy so anyway so like that to me is like yes like i feel like we're in a moment right now where those conversations need to happen like and so yeah it's and it's a perfect place because it doesn't feel like i feel like for with contemporary could feel more daunting but with a historical like there's a like there's like a there's you know like you're there's a distance Mm -hmm. that can that can that is like you can do a lot more i think with those topics than with a contemporary like that could feel like too much i think for the reader amazing how has the research aspect been for historical i love the research i think it's like i mean if i could do it for years i would but it's been the i mean it's been fascinating for one, like the things I've discovered. And also it's been like really healing for me in terms of like the, the Latin history that I've discovered mm-hmm. in the process of writing these books, because it's a lot of things that is, it's a lot of stuff that isn't like in your school textbooks and things like that. So I've been able to just find a lot of like fascinating things about just like, like there's a, character not a character but there's a woman i mentioned in an island princess her name is like flora tristan moscoso and she was a peruvian french woman and she wrote this tract like in 1843 that basically like galvanized like the workers movement in paris and like if if anyone's ever been to france they've probably been there some they're always striking like there's always a group of people striking whether it's like the guys that pick up the trash or like the guys that run the subway or the museum workers or all of them at the same time like the 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 french uh culture of like protest is super 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 strong and historically has been like the french revolution and this woman this woman who was a latina in 1843 wrote this essay that like basically said like male workers if you let us come and join you like the elderly the disabled women like we could be a force and it really was like one of those like things that like really like created a movement and i had no idea she existed so like just something like that just reading something like that and knowing that this woman was latina was like just fascinating and beautiful so that sort of thing like just discovering these like little nuggets of history that I had never heard of before. And I'm and I'm lucky because I'm in New York City too. I just have to say that um, there's a there's a Dominican Studies Institute. It's an institute out of the City College of New York that is basically an archive of Dominican history. And the librarian there is like, if I would if I didn't already have a firstborn, I would name my firstborn after him <laughs> because he has been just so helpful to me like I just sent like a month ago I sent him this like enormous list of things that I needed for the next book and he just like sent me like 
20 million links. And it's like, and so I'm going to go over there. And he's just like, has the books for me so I can go through them. So it's been just awesome to have like, use the resources of like these archives to like create something that's like commercial fiction. Wow. That's amazing. And how do you know when you're at the point that you have enough, this is a selfish question. (laughs) How do you know you're at the point that you have enough research done that you're ready to start writing? Because I feel like writers could get into the trap of just like never stopping research. Yes. And I don't know. I don't have an answer for you other than the deadline becomes much more (laughs) urgent. (laughs) Like, like, for example, now, like I had, um, we we're pushing back the next one. Um, the, the next one is coming out in in like the fall of next year instead of the summer. Cause I was like, I've realized that I actually need a year to write these books and not eight months. So but I have to, like, my deadline is in October mm-hmm. and it's May. And I've been researching since last October. So it's time. Okay. What I have is going to have to be enough to get me going. So, so I have, so I have, I just have to start writing. And so, like, I know now, like, so I don't know because I'm still reading stuff that I don't need to be reading. I just need to be writing. So, like, the answer is, like, when your deadline becomes so urgent that, you might have to ask your agent to ask your editor to give you an extension, <laughs> which is right about where I am. So that's what you know. Sometimes you just have to dive in. Yeah. 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 yeah and with these books, like I could do research for a million years. Like I know it's like the, the, with this book, like I have, it's another theme, but like I've, I've been doing research for like eight months. Like I have more than enough yeah. to get going. Um, so is the, is book three going to be Aurora's story? It's Aurora and Apollo and Apollo is the brother. Yes. He's the brother of the hero from the first book. He's Evan's brother, like secret brother. Um, and so it's Apollo and Aurora and she is, um, she's a doctor. She's a medical doctor and she's like, one of the first women licensed to practice medicine in Mexico. And she is running an underground clinic where she provides contraception and abortions. And like, it's a women's clinic. It's not just an abortion. It's like Planned Parenthood. where like, they do a lot more than just provide a, uh, we're so like, I've been doing a lot of research about like contraception abortion in latin america like what that looked like specifically in mexico because she's she was born in the dr but she was raised in mexico so just looking for that has been again fascinating to see like just like how brazen women were and 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 so also like okay but it needs to be sexy so i can't just like talk (laughs) about like what she was doing in the clinic so it's kind of like this balance so yeah so um Aurora's doing all kinds of stuff that's illegal and getting all kinds of trouble. And Apollo is just like trying to keep her out of trouble. It doesn't work a lot for him, but yeah. I just love their tension that you get, especially towards the end of Island of Princess. It's just like, like you just get, you know, that feeling as a romance reader where you're like, aha, 
they're coming next. <laughs> I can already see oh, it. The yes. tension is so good. <laughs> and I, I, I hope that it's been like, like it's like I've rendered it, rendered that like, because Apollo's like a very unbothered kind of character, like very like um, like he just doesn't care. <laughs> and and she's like the one thing. She's like the the stone in his shoe. Like the one thing that gets under his skin is her. And so like, I, that's what I'm trying to do with this book. So hopefully it'll be fun and also do what it needs to with like my mission to have conversations about feminism and my romance. Amazing. Yeah. It's that's probably one amazing. of my, Oh, sorry, Fallon. What? No, I was just saying it's going to be amazing. I, I can't know. wait. And like, that's probably one of my favorite uh like romance dynamics yeah that one person that gets under that like just ruffles them up oh I'm obsessed it's gonna be so sexy yes I mean I think like I mean that's one I'm like I think it's like one of my core stories is like like I'm I'm one of those people that like I cut my teeth on like bodice rippers like Joanna Lindsay, Elizabeth Lowell, like the, those like old school romance. And also like these, like the stoic hero who like has it all figured out. And then he meets this woman and like his life begins to fall apart <laughs> little by little by little. And he can't think and he can't sleep and he can't eat. And he's like all of a sudden, like in all these places that he's never been in. Like that, that's like my favorite kind of story. So um, I hope that, I mean, I have a lot to work with, with Apollo and Aurora, but like even in the other two, like with Luz and Anna and Evan, it was also kind of that dynamic where she, he just like couldn't stay away. And with Island Princess as well, like Cora is determined to get this land and like invest as little of herself as possible in the process and just can't can't do it because Manuela is like constantly getting her off task. <laughs> and I need these books to be movies, a, a series, like immediately. I mean, doesn't the cover already look like yes, a movie? Yes, fingers crossed. Like, yeah. come on. I know. Um, which actually leads us well into our next topic of you've been watching jury duty and you're loving it i loved it i watched the whole thing and like i'm a very short like i have a very short attention span for television like oh. like an eight episode season takes me like three weeks i can only do like one or two <laughs> hours of television but we watched that one like i think in like three or four days it's um do you know the premise of jury duty I haven't. I've only seen like a couple little things on Twitter because of uh, James Marston. James Marston. So, yeah. I mean, and it's not a spoiler. Like, it's like their hook. So it's it's a show that is kind of like documentary style. So it's like kind of like um, The Office type setting. And then the the premise is that like, it's a show about like a juror or like a jury. And Everyone is an actor except one of the jurors who thinks the whole thing is real. (laughs) 
brilliant. Like everyone, like the jurors, the act, like the judge, the bailiffs, the entire courtroom is all actors. Like everywhere they go, it's actors. Like there's like episodes where they go out to dinner. Everyone's an actor except this one guy, Ronald, who I think needs to be like studied for science because he might be actually like a p- the purest human being on earth. And like they keep tripping him up, like doing it, like things that would have flustered or angered or had any regular human being snap. And this man, every time, just responded with grace and humor and kindness and empathy every time and let me tell you i was at a place in life where i had lost my like faith in like cis white straight men fair might have restored and i'm married to one and still i was like loose in faith same ronald Ronald, for like for my spouse i was like like I was like, he was like, it's making me like have faith that like, uh, we might have a fighting chance to like retain our humanity. And I'm like, I think, I think so too, bud. So like, it is so great and so funny. And James Marsden is like James Marsden. So like, that's part of it. Like in the show, like he is like himself. So like, he's like kind of like this like actor who's kind of like a B-list actor, but also like everybody knows who he is. <laughs> so um, it's great. It is fantastic. And just like really smart, like really smart and just joyful. Like it's honestly like a straight shot of serotonin every time. Cause he is so kind. Like every, I would like the things that they put him through <laughs> And every time he's just like, well, you know, like, you just have to, like, get that some people are in di- in a- at different places. Like, he just always <laughs> has, like, a response that's, like, 100% graceful and empathetic. <laughs> and I loved it. And I think everyone should watch it. It's so okay. good. Just, like, jumped to the top of my list Please of things me. that I need to watch. Do it. And please email me and or text me or DM me and tell me that you loved it because it is so good. It is so wonderful. Like, and, and like the actors are great. Oh. All the actors are great in it. And, and they do like by the end, like the last episode is like him finding out like what happened. And that episode is just phenomenal. Oh. And by that point, you're ready to, and by that point, we're all ready to like give, put our lives like on the line for Ronald. <laughs> By the last episode, like, I was willing, like, to put my life on the line for him. So, like, just seeing him was so good. It was really cute. Why does Ronald give me, like, Ted Lasso vibes? <laughs> he is the real Ted Lasso. Oh, my God. Both my, my husband and I were both saying that because we are big fans of Ted Lasso, too. And we were saying, like, this is so people like this do exist. It's what you're saying. Television. That's good. That gives me great. a little faith. Because sometimes yeah, you do great. watch Ted Lasso and be like, are you real, Ted Lasso? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ronald is a real person. Okay, that's good to know. I love oh it. God. Okay. So I, what is the streaming service? It's on Prime. It's through, like, this freebie okay. um, service, but, like, you can watch it through Prime. That's where we watch it. Watching this immediately. It's so yeah. good. Please watch it. I love that. Um, 
So in our like little pre-show chat, when we were talking about jury duty, you made a very poignant statement that I won't try to capture because I'll never say it as good as you. Um, But basically just about the way that TV is taking risks with things that are coming out lately. And I just, especially as we record this, it's May 4th. We, um, you know, are pretty early into the writer's strike that is happening with all the TV and film writers. Um, So enlighten us because you said it so beautifully. Yeah, I think, I mean, and I think it's like, I think we should, like, we need to be taking more risks in romance. And, and when I say that is, again, like, I think, like, even what I was talking about earlier in terms of writing women who are more, com- like, complicated women, I think, um, complicated situations, I think there's so much to be talking about. Right? There's so much urgency right now in the world around, where do we go from here? Like, where do we go? from here where like you know just last week the surgeon general announced that they're like putting out an initiative to like fight isolation like to try to have like like isolation and like people feeling disconnected and alone like loneliness is like a public health issue right now Mm -hmm. and like women's issues are at the forefront of my mind, like last year, Roe v. Wade got repealed and I haven't slept well since. Mm-hmm. And so like, to me, like, I, I think it's valid that romance has to be escapism, but I, I think, I, I think that we've conflated escapism with stories about white people were like mm-hmm. conversations about systemic oppression mm-hmm. and the state of the world can't be approached and so to me it's like the same thing like i think we, we've started replace i think escapism has now replaced the the thing about like oh i can't relate to that story Ooh, i yeah. can't relate to that because that's not my experience but what you're really saying is like you're not interested in reading things about people whose life experiences may feel make make you feel uncomfortable mm, like don't talk yeah. about it don't talk about it yeah, like, I mean, and, 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 and I think I was having this conversation the other day, because, like, I could, like, with friends who are women of color, who are also write romance, and we're constantly talking about, like, looking around mm-hmm. and being like, what do we do? So, like, part of it is, like, I can write a small town romance, right? Like, of course I can write a most small town romance, and I can write a small town romance of someone coming home and thinking about all the ways that, like, that small town traumatized them. Mm-hmm. But in my small town romance, Racism is probably going to be one of those things that traumatize them, right? And so, like, I I think, like, part of it is that I think when we say escapism, we say no discomfort. Mm -hmm. And so I think we we have to be braver. We have to complicate. Like, we have to write characters that are, like, confronting their fragility. Confronting, like, trash relatives. Mm that vote against their own interests. We have to confront the violence in like our words and our worlds, like the fear of sending our children to school, like all those things. Like, I don't think we have to hammer it in, but I think escapism too, like, and, and, and again, like, I feel like what does escapism mean? Cause I think you can have, you can ha- like, like, again, like I think like, 
Nina Simone said it, like, it's the job of the artist to reflect the times. Mm -hmm. I think, like, we have to complicate our romance a little bit. So I think that's what I meant. And I don't know how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's part of why I think we just have to be braver. And, and mm -hmm. I think it's it. And I think for women, especially for us, like we're socialized to not upset the status quo. Like we're socialized to please and not subvert. Right. And so, like, I think part of it is like being able to like be be braver like i mean again like to me it's like how is it that i every conversation i have with my women friends it's like we're talking about like how do we burn this shit down and then like i go to the page and i don't have any of that any of that in there oh yeah like am i am i i mean it's it's like the it's like there's a dissociative cognitive dissonance there yeah and i think so much of it too is like if you're writing characters in a contemporary world and they aren't thinking about some of these things, then you're not really writing authentic characters. Like if right. I am writing a woman who is on a dating app and she doesn't ask her, you know, prospective date, like, who did you vote for? Yes. Like I'm married, so I'm not dating. But if I were dating, like that would be one of the first questions I would ask. And I think that it's, it is unrealistic to kind of shy away from those things. Um, I know that there can be external pressures to not put stuff like that in your books because, you know, from the publisher's perspective, they don't want to scare readers away. And I think there's sometimes pressure from stuff like that, but it's like, you're really not being true to your characters. Like if you're writing a parent and that parent doesn't ever think about how scary it is to send your kid to school, then that's like not necessarily an authentic experience, you know, for those characters at this point in time. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's like, and, and I think, and I think like, I don't know where I heard this, but I think part of it is like, like it's craft, like it's craft and it's mm. skill in your writing that like, you like, you have to push yourself to be able to deliver the sexy, fun, funny, you know, fast paced romance that like you're supposed to, and also be able to reflect the world you live in, in it. And so like, mm -hmm. like it's a craft thing. Like if you feel like you complicating your books, like you can't go there and it's like, well, then you're, you need to do better. Yeah. Like, yeah, because I feel like it. it is like, I, of course, I could write, I could write, I mean, I could write people of color who don't have these conversations, but like, it's not realistic. It's not authentic. So that's what I meant by that. And I honestly don't know how we do it. I feel like there's also like, I think it, it used to be where there was more like when RWA existed in, in, a, in a way where people could like, mm -hmm. there were conferences and things like that. I think there were like local chapters. Like, I mean, I, I know they still are, but like a lot of, like they lost a big chunk of their membership. Like, it's just not the same. And I think like one of the great things about like having those local communities of romance authors is that you could like in, in real time, in person, mm -hmm. have those conversations 
and go to a conference where you could have that conversation in a larger group setting. And I think we've lost that since the pandemic. And I think that's part of why I think people are going to what's comfortable. Yeah. And I think, cause we like, you know, we are like a community of writers. And so like, I think that like f- being able to feed off of each other and each other's experiences, like in a communal way, I think would like help, I think kind of like get people like galvanized in those ways. And I feel like, like podcast, like, Things like this, I think, help a lot because I think like those communities are like really lost now. Wow. Yeah. 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 I'm very sad that, and I think the pandemic probably had a lot to do with it, that we haven't replaced RWA with something, you know, similar, Same. but better. Um, Cause that it was a huge loss for sure. Yeah. Oh and it gosh, takes yeah. time it to build up. You're going yeah. to see me lit con, right? I am going to SteamyLitCon. Can't wait. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited to. And I, and I I want us to do something like that, but like, like we with reader events, but for authors. We could have like, yeah. like RWA, yes. RWA used to be where we had like three days, just authors. And then the final day was like a reader event. But yeah. like having that time to just like do workshops and like meet at the mm-hmm. bar and like get drunk, but also talk about craft, like all that stuff. Drunk yeah. craft talk is probably the best craft. <laughs> I mean, talk. and like literally, like three thousand people who's like every wake every waking moment is thinking about romance. Literally, yeah, it's the best. And it's, it's the yeah. best. It's so interesting and like enlightening, and just like I feel it in my body. Like when you're talking, just like it's so powerful. Like I know with my queer duology it was very specifically crafted to feel like a Hallmark movie for the queer community. So I intentionally didn't include queer trauma. However, moving forward, I want to be more brave and I want to be more bold to get that on the page. And, um, in ways that confront it and in ways that are ultimately healing, Um, but I can't do it alone. Like I have to have conversations about it. And so like, to your point, we need that community of other authors to be able to discuss, like it's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing else like it being able to have those conversations because then you go to the page empowered and like feeling brave, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, and validated and supported. I think there's just so much of like, even from like me writing this historical series, like, honestly, I wouldn't have been able to do it right without like, I have like Alexis Daria and me and Soraya and Tracy Livesey, who is, um, in DC, like Mm -hmm. we write in a zoom room together. We have been for like the last two years, three, I don't even know. Like since the pandemic started, hasn't been six years. And like, we just get on zoom and like do sprints together. But then like, I can be like, I'm thinking of doing this. Like, I'm thinking of doing that. Like, what do you think about this? Like we read each other's, um, drafts. And it's been so helpful because this series has been hard, like in terms of just like all that I'm trying to do without any reference text. Oh my God. Yeah. I can imagine. And, and I can't like the first book I wrote it and I was like, this sounds like a Lisa Claypest novel. 
which is not a bad thing. I love Lisa Claybus. Like I'm obsessed with her, <laughs> but like my historical can't sign, sound like a Lisa Claybus, but because my characters are not like Lisa Claybus' character, I'm writing black women. Yeah. Who yeah. are coming from a very different point of view. And then the second draft was like a referendum on colonialism, which also important, not sexy. <laughs> so like I had to really rewrite this book over and over again until it felt right. And so like, without them like being able to read some pages and tell me like no like this is where like I think you need to pull back on like I honestly would still be writing that book and so it's like that piece of it like I feel like and even us like we feel like we need more people right like we need like a larger group because we're not all writing the same thing but there are others out there writing the same exact thing that we're trying to write and so like missing those connections like yeah, I feel like there's a lot of conversations that were happening in romance right before the pandemic that have kind of disappeared. And I think it's because we don't have yeah. a communal place to do it. Wow. Yeah, and it, that's very true. Um, and again, kind of going back to, you know, sort of leaving things out that are part of our daily lives. And I obviously am guilty of this myself, but I've read maybe two or three contemporary romances that have come out in the past, you know, year or two that even mention the pandemic. It's like, we've all just like collectively erased it from our books. And um, I get why we did that. And, you know, I know why I did it because I just mentally couldn't handle it at the point. But, you know, it is like a big thing that is a part of our lives that we've basically all just shoved to the side and said, yeah. It didn't actually happen. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, I feel like I was thinking about that the other day. And I was like, should I in, in, introduce the pandemic in my next contemporary? Just because I feel like it might be time to talk about yeah. the collective trauma there. I was thinking yeah. the same thing, actually, as I'm planning out this new project. Yeah. Yeah. And just being more grounded in what's going on and, you know. And like my heart is so with like trans rights and everything that's being attacked right now. Just like it all around <laughs> and like bringing yeah. all those important conversations to the page is. Yeah. And, and it's so much about like, and, and it really comes down to a question of craft because you don't want to like right. make people feel worse, but you also want to make them feel seen. Yes. That's and, the and hopeful and hopeful, right? Like, like these things are happening, but Hey, Ronald from Jury Duty also exists and he's great. <laughs> yes. Like we have a world with so much so much goodness. And so I think it's like being able to like have those contrasts. But it all again, it also takes like craft. Not everybody's trying to do that. So being able to have conversations with people who are and like how they're doing it and how they've approached it and what like ways that they <laughs> can do it. Like I feel like all of that is it's like where I feel like we find like <clears throat> the energy and like the conviction to, to be braver. I love that. Okay. I feel like that's a, a good note to sort of wrap up on is finding the conviction to be braver. I'm going to listen to that on repeat. Um, Okay, but before we let you go, can you uh, please tell our listeners where they can find you on the interwebs? On the interwebs, I'm mostly on Instagram because I 
I'm too old for TikTok, I feel like. And Twitter has just not been a place I've been wanting to be for a while now. So mostly on on Instagram, I'm at, at Ladriana underscore Herrera. And you can always join my newsletter, which I am pretty good about up, like keeping up. I usually send one or two a month. I always have giveaways on there. So those are like probably the places that you can connect with me are Instagram or my newsletter. And you have a book tour coming up too, right? Yes, I'm doing a, a mini a mini book tour because I have my book's coming out on on May 30th, and then I have an event on May 29th, and then on May 31st, I'm going to London to see my president Beyonce, and then I'm I'm coming back a week yeah. later, and then I'm doing an event in DC, and then I have a virtual event. So like I probably could have done a third uh, a fourth event in there, but I'm going to see my president in the UK. I love it. I mean, priorities. <laughs> We just spoke with um, Christina Forrest, who is a huge Beyonce fan. So maybe you two will meet up there. <laughs> yeah. Love, love this. Love it. Um, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for this conversation um, because it was perfect. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was great. And please go see Jury Duty and then, t- and then DM me. Absolutely. Oh, yes. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K K A E on all social media platforms. And you can find me Fallon Ballard at Fallon Ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time.